Hello, this is Dr. Gary Miller, president of the University of Akron. We are honored to have you listen to our podcast series, Diverse Engineering, Women Engineers Through the Decades, which would not be possible without the generous support of our gold sponsors, Bridgestone Americas, Continental Contatech, and the GPD Group. Before this remarkable podcast unfolds, we also want to acknowledge this episode's sponsor, Lyondell Bissell Industries. Together with our community partners, we at the University of Akron are committed to the success of students from around the world and in our own backyard. We're especially proud of the contributions and successes that have resulted from the hard work, determination, and dedication of our women engineering students. Please enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Diverse Engineering, a podcast celebrating the contributions, stories, and voices of those who have been historically excluded and thus underrepresented in the fields of engineering. My name is Ebony Bond, and I am a 2018 mechanical engineering graduate of the notable University of Akron, and I will be your host for this podcast. This season is in honor of women in engineering through the last five decades. You can expect to hear about the foundation that each woman's career was built on, their experience as a woman in engineering, and about their current lives and hopes for the future. This episode, titled Synthesis of a Female CEO, will feature Cynthia Slazak. Here's what you should know about Cynthia. In 2019, Cynthia became CEO of the RJS Corporation, a company founded here in Akron, Ohio, by her father in 1950. Before that, Cynthia was president and CEO of Ozone Engineering, a California corporation which she founded in 1988. Ms. Slazak obtained her degree in chemical engineering from the University of Akron in 1978, representing the 70s decade for our season. We look forward to sharing Cynthia's story as the CEO of not one, but two engineering companies. Thank you for taking the time from your CEO duties to join us today and represent the 70s decade, Cynthia. So without further ado, I definitely want to thank you for your time here today, Ms. Cynthia. I know you have a lot of CEO responsibilities, and I look forward to hearing more through this interview about how you came about being a female CEO of two engineering companies and how you managed that. Um, so before we get into the nitty gritty of engineering, I noticed you're on the board of a nonprofit, the International Carnivorous Plant Society. What is a carnivorous plant and how did you end up serving in this niche? Well, that's a great question. Um, my mom gave me a book when I was about 10 years old called Insect Eating Plants. Mm -hmm. And that's what a carnivorous plant is. Mm -hmm. Carnivorous plants grow in areas that are very low in nutrients, so they have to supplement their diet by eating bugs. Uh, probably the most famous insect eating plant is the Venus flytrap, okay. and which is native just to North Carolina in North America. But there are around 750 species of carnivorous plants throughout the world, every continent except Antarctica. Okay. Um, I've been growing them for years, and then I came across the International Carnivorous Plant Society when I was living out in California and ended up on the board. And so now I've been doing that for about 20 years. Interesting. So well, I looked up the carnivorous plants, and it reminded me of the Little Shop of Horrors. What type of plant was that? That would be more like a Venus flytrap. Okay. A really big one. Okay. <laughs> um, so you are now the CEO of the RJS Corporation, and that was founded by your father. What was it like growing up with a dad who started an engineering-based company? Well, he worked six days a week, 12 mm -hmm. hours a day, mm -hmm. 
we never went on vacations. Um, it was it was pretty tough, really. Um, we didn't really have a lot of money in those days. Mm-hmm. My mom made my clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it, it was we were it was we were really instilled early in our lives. I have two brothers that we had to work hard. School was important. Uh, you know, we didn't really have a lot, you know. So, you know, I worked from the time I was 10 years old just to have money for myself and so I could buy some carnivorous plants, too. <laughs> what did you do at 10? I cleaned houses. Yeah. While your father was working these 12-hour days, what what was he doing? What And really what I'm trying to get at is what does the RJS Corporation do? We make equipment for the front-end part of tire manufacturing. Okay. So if you're familiar with something called a steel-belted radial, no. Um, okay, or a two-ply <laughs> tire. The ply in a tire is the rubber that has the um, uh, metal bands in it. Okay. We make the the equipment that feeds the steel into the rubber. So it's the front-end part of tire manufacturing. And for the small little company based in Akron, Ohio, we sell to every major tire company in the world, mm-hmm. including a Bridgestone, Firestone, Michelin, Continental, uh, many companies in China and India. Mm-hmm. And my dad mostly invented all these products on uh, and what was he doing? At home, he'd be at home on the drawing board, the drafting board. My dad was an excellent draftsman. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> well, you don't have to be anymore, though, do you? You don't have to be yeah. anymore. But I hated it. Back then, we, we still had to do it by hand when I was at Akron U. Then uh, in the day, my dad was mostly in sales. Okay. So, And he was in business with his brother who did manage the shop and the um, employees, the people manufacturing the equipment. Mm -hmm. But my dad did the sales. Mm -hmm. It really grew, and it it really grew the most in the 90s, you know, kind of after uh, my brothers and I were, you know, already graduated and gone away. That's when the company really took off. Mm -hmm. And I think you can mainly say because China exploded so much and their middle class grew and people in China started having their own cars, Mm -hmm. therefore they needed tires. Mm -hmm. And that, therefore, they needed tire factories as well in China. You mentioned working since 10 years old, and you didn't go work for the family company after you graduated. Why not? That's right. Um, and my, I have two brothers, and they did not either. Mm. And my dad did not want family in the company. Mm. And, you know, my dad was, he was kind of a, a tough guy, you know, um, not the easiest to get along with necessarily, very brilliant. And I think the company was his his own toy. It was his place to go. He didn't want family there. And so, you know, we all went on and did our own things. My older brother's a doctor. He's a surgeon. And my younger brother's a mechanical engineer. So, you know, your journey has led you on to starting the Ozone Engineering Company in 1988. Can you tell us a little bit about what Ozone Engineering is and, you know, what all you do there as a CEO? I'm going to give a little bit of background first. Um, When I graduated in 1978, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do. You know, I, I did do two quarters of co-op, and I did something that I don't recommend. And over the course of 10 years, I had a lot of jobs, and I moved around a lot, and I, I just couldn't decide what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in sales, that I want to be in engineering. I kept flip-flopping around. Mm-hmm. The good part of that is I was exposed to a lot of different kind of companies, and I traveled around a lot and all that. And one of the last places I worked was a company that – made ozone generators. And I was a chemical engineer, application engineer for that company. The company was called Polymetrics out in California. And ozone, besides being in the ozone layer, is a very powerful oxidizer. It's a lot like chlorine. But the advantage of ozone is that after it does its job, sterilizing or oxidizing, it turns into oxygen. 
So it's a very clean, green chemical. But ozone has to be made on site. It's made in a generator, an electrical plasma generator, and then you mix it with water or you might have a gas phase reaction. But the best thing about ozone, it's every chemical engineering thing you ever learned you get to do. You have mass transfer, you have kinetics, you have organic chemistry reactions. You have everything. You have catalytic conversions and all that. So I learned all this at this company called Polymetrics. And then I decided to just go out on my own, and I started a manufacturer's rep business and an engineering consulting business selling ozone equipment. Mm -hmm. I set up my own lab, mm -hmm. and ozone is mostly primarily used in the water treatment industry, which could be drinking water or it could be wastewater. Mm -hmm. It's great at getting rid of things like cyanide. Then I would talk to customers that needed a certain type of water treatment or bottled water and go around there and sell them a complete system. And then I also had a lab that I set up and I would run experiments in my garage. <laughs> oh. And that was really fun. I mean, I really, you know, I love chemical engineering. Um, I never knew what it was when I started at Akron U. Lady in my chemistry class next to me was taking chemical engineering. And I go, oh, what is that? And she told me and I went and signed up and changed my major. Oh, wow. And that's how I became a chemical engineer. And I loved it. I yeah. mean, to me, it's been a great career. I've had a lot of fun. So you mentioned, you know, doing experiments at home. Were there any experiments that went wrong? <laughs> oh, once in a while, something might blow up. <laughs> I was like, that could get really, like... I used to think the neighbors wondered what it was what I was doing with all these oxygen cylinders being delivered to the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ultimately, I did move into an industrial facility. It was just when I first started out. So you mentioned that you went into being a, a consultant and selling, you know, ozone equipment. Is that what ozone engineering does or that, is that how it originated? That's how it originated and that's what it continued to do. Although it, do, it did evolve over the years, I also was a manufacturer's rep for some non-ozone type equipment like distillation equipment mm -hmm. and uh, mist eliminating equipment for air pollution. Mm -hmm. So as a manufacturer's rep, you represent a number of different companies. Mm -hmm. But then I started concentrating more on ozone equipment, you know, the ozone generators, the ozone analyzers, the contact towers, uh, and then the catalytic destruct units, because ozone is a gas that is considered not safe. It's monitored by OSHA. So it was the best business. You have a piece of equipment to make ozone, mix it, and then get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that for any school that's teaching chemical engineering, all you need to do is just have people work on ozone and they'll know everything they need to know about <laughs> it. Really, it was the best background for being in that industry. It really was great help, you know, especially the chemistry background, the kinetics, you know, all that. I mean, we would set up experiments. Somebody would send us a sample of, of wastewater and we'd analyze it. We'd test it with ozone to figure out how much ozone we needed to treat it test it again, and size the system from there. Yeah, I used to work for a company, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it, there was some, like, ionizer, like they were trying to get people to go away from using laundry detergent. Ozone is used in the laundry industry, mm -hmm. and one of the advantages of that is you can do cold water washing. You mm -hmm. can get away with yep. without uh, hot water. That's what it uses a lot less detergent, too, and it sanitizes and sterilizes as it goes. And that's actually the area I'm still working in right now. I sell equipment that gets rid of the ozone after they're done treating the wafers. Okay. They suck the ozone out of the chamber through a, a catalytic converter. My company makes the catalytic converters because they can't open the chambers to get the wafers out if there's still ozone in there. So right. they have to do the treatment, evacuate the chamber, get rid of the ozone, and then they can you know, do whatever they're going to do with the wafers. Interesting. It's pretty interesting. 
Um, so what inspired you to come back in and lead the, the family business? Well, my dad did not have an exit plan, so it was not really necessarily a, a decision. Uh, my parents both um, became ill in, in around 2014 mm-hmm. and actually subsequently passed away. That Later that year, they both passed away within six months of each other. And my dad did not have an exit plan, and he was literally on his deathbed signing the company over to me and my brothers. Oh, wow. And now, luckily, I had already made the decision a few years ago to buy a house back here in Akron. But I thought, you know, there's going to be a problem here in a few years. And my dad just would not acknowledge his, you know, that that there was some time that he needed to make some plans. And he just did not do it. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I did take over the company. And then that's been interesting, too, because my brother was still working as a surgeon. And I was still doing, you know, my business full time. You sound like a phenomenal business person. Were there any inclinations in your history that would let you know that maybe running a business would have been in your plan before actually starting one in 1988? Well, maybe the lemonade stand when I was seven years old. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. You know, I always was intrigued about making money. You know, Mm. I mean, just that was something I was always interested in. I always wanted to make my own money so I could buy what I wanted. You know, that was always kind of a goal. My dad was in sales. I think I got a lot of influence from him. Mm-hmm. And one thing he told me was when he was first starting out, he got a job selling vacuum cleaners to learn how to do sales door to door. And you know, I did it too. Selling vacuum cleaners isn't that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can imagine. I can imagine. But everybody needs one. Everybody needs one. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You were interested in making money. Do you think that it was because like growing up without money, like you had like a stronger desire to figure out how to get it? Yeah, because we didn't do anything. You know, we never went on vacations. You know, we didn't. My dad worked all the time and, and yet he, he loved working, but he also we never went out to eat. We were happy when he went out of town so we could go to McDonald's, you know, <laughs> okay. you know, we just didn't have much, you know, and that's all. My parents actually ended up with a lot more money later on Mm -hmm. because the business did so much better with the opening up of China. Mm -hmm. But by then, I had already had my business for a while. You know, I started in 1988, and I'm going to say the first year of my owning my own business, I made more money than I ever made before. Oh, wow. And I was highly motivated to get out there and work, and I basically felt like you just work hard and try, and it's going to come, and it does. I love uh, it. It does, and there are a few things you have to remember to do, you know, is always return the phone calls, answer the emails, get back to people. Don't lie to them, you know, yeah. try to be as honest as you can. That's the way I did my business and yeah. I was successful. But, you know, but then because I did so well, I was able to, I've traveled the world. I can do almost anything I want to do, mm-hmm. you know, as far as I go to the opera, you know, mm-hmm. if I want to see professional sports, mm-hmm. go to a concert. I've been able to do all the things I've wanted to do, and I've been able to pay for it myself. And now I'm able to give back because yeah. I have the scholarship here at the University for mm-hmm. Women in Engineering, which is really great. I don't have any um, children, mm-hmm. but I love meeting these women because they probably be around the age if I did have a daughter. Right, right. Mm. And it's fun to meet them and hear their stories and their backgrounds. I'm going to say one thing. They're a lot smarter than we were. <laughs> well, maybe there's more information and resources that we have yeah. at our disposal. So that probably like does it. Does it yeah, does they it are a lot smarter than we were.
We will continue our talk with Cynthia Slazak in just a moment. But first, I want to thank you for listening to this diverse engineering podcast series. My name is Keridan Morgan, and I am able to attend the University of Akron because of the Women in Engineering scholarships that I have received. These scholarships, which are offered through the College of Engineering and Polymer Science, make a huge impact in my academic success by reducing my financial need. If you would like to make a difference in another female engineering student's academic career, please text WIE to 71777 or give online at uacron.edu forward slash giving forward slash WIE. So you have the scholarship to give back to the students. I want to talk about you being a student. What was your experience like going here at the University of Akron, especially as one of the first women to be getting a degree in chemical engineering? Is there anything that like sticks out about your... You know, I just remember it being really fun. I love being around all those guys, you know? I mean, it was, there were maybe four women and the rest were guys. And I had some really good friends and we really had, we really had a lot of fun especially in the labs and things like that, you know, especially thermal transfer across a grapefruit, you know. <laughs> Does that sound fun to me, but I'm glad it was fun to you. It was fun. I We had a great time, but I had some really great friends, and I'm still yeah. friends with some of them out yeah. there. What about the professors? Any really great professors well, or support that you felt like you got from Well, my favorite was Dr. Willis. Okay. Yeah, he was the best. You know, he was my advisor. I do remember one time going back and visiting him after I graduated and saying I wanted to get into sales, Mm -hmm. and he got mad at me. He said, oh, you don't want to do that. You know, you need to stay in the discipline. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, I saw him, and he had kind of changed his mind because I feel like I made great use of the chemical engineering discipline. Mm -hmm. I got to be in sales, and and I did very well for myself. You have. And it was fun. I mean, one thing I have to say is it was really fun. I loved what I did. That's really cool. It was really stressful for me. <laughs> I don't know if I would call it fun, but very stressful. Well, you know, the first 10 years was not fun for me. Yeah. Because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kept changing jobs. I flipped back and forth. And another thing that I lived in the South. I, one mm-hmm. of the jobs I had, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this okay. would have been like 1980. Were lots of those Venus flytraps? I didn't have any Venus flytraps okay. then. Okay. You know, I, I my collection had withered away and I didn't start up again till later on when I got to California so okay. I didn't have any then so I, right where there there's a lot of them you said in North Carolina right they are okay. yeah there were and I, and I made the mistake of never going to the beach and looking for any because that's where they grow on the beach in North Carolina okay but I so I lived in North Carolina and I had this job where I was in sales I had the whole southeast and I do think the attitude towards women there was a little different than maybe California or okay. Texas or even even here I would basically drive around and look for pay phones and things mm-hmm. like that, or I'd go to the town. I was selling testing equipment, go to the Chamber of Commerce, get a list of companies, call them on the phone, and go see them, mm-hmm. cold calling. Mm-hmm. It was awful. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you were going to say it was awesome. No, it wasn't. It was awful. There were very few women doing this kind of thing back mm-hmm. then. And mm-hmm. one good thing is I'd call up and say, can I stop by? And everybody always said, yeah, come on yeah. by. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think they just wanted to see what I looked like. But, you know, there was... A certain amount of harassment. And one thing I do remember was somebody says, why are you doing this? Why aren't you at home having babies? Mm. <laughs> and that didn't, I will never forget that. How did you respond? And I said, um, I says, well, I'm not doing that. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, this is what I'm doing. But I mean, it bothered me. I mean, yeah. it, I would get depressed about, about it a little bit. Mm. And I think some of it was maybe the attitude of people in that part of the country. Mm-hmm. Also, when you're young, you know, and you're in your 20s and mm-hmm. 
you haven't really been around a lot. It's a combination of things. It's the change of the society and the culture. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you definitely get more confidence mm -hmm. and learn more things. And, you know, my goal was just to be 10 times better than all of them, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, because you have to be. As a woman, you have to be 10 times better to be equal. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what I believe that in a way, at least at first. And now that I've been around for forever, it seems like. Mm -hmm. I have no worries at all now because I can stand up to anybody in my field of expertise. Did, where, did you wish like in school you had more support or you know, programs in place, you know, for women engineers? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, we didn't even think about it then because we didn't have women in engineering then. We didn't really have any kind of support thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then these jobs that I had, there was never really any good mentor at any one of these. Uh, there were a couple of jobs that I took that I thought, now, finally, I'm going to go and have a mentor, somebody who can train me and help me. Every one of those jobs, as soon as I got to the job, the person either was promoted away or had left and gone somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so it was really up to me to kind of train myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not always the best thing. Right, <laughs> you know, right. it's, it isn't. But mm -hmm. I, I also really give my dad a lot of credit. It's amazing what you learn from osmosis, just seeing how he operated and, mm -hmm. and all that. I think, you know, just learning the integrity and the how to get back to people, how to treat people. That's mm -hmm. what I learned from him. Um, you mentioned that, you know, now you have more confidence and that just, you know, it came with time. What do you think were the, like, some of the differences in how you were treated as a young professional engineer to, like, how you are, you know, treated now? I think a lot of times as soon as they see that you're a woman, they might think you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, I remember one time making a sales call, and I was with another man and in he was bringing me in as the expert, and the customer came out and went, it's a woman, like that. Oh, and my gosh. I was sort of sh shocked because by then I'd had quite a bit of experience, and by the time we were finished with the sales call, he, he shut up. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, it's a woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wow. What was, like, did you respond to him in that moment, or did you, at that point, were you kind of like used to those responses? I was kind of used to that. I, I said, I didn't really say anything. I, I said I'll show you you know mm -hmm. I mean I wasn't mm -hmm. worried about it mm -hmm. do you think that there's a, a different set of challenges being you know a woman CEO versus just like a professional I would say probably there is I don't really you know run into it too much at RJS Corporation because most of the people there I've known for years you know I even knew them before I was involved because I would always come back and visit the company mm -hmm. so not really mm -hmm. um but I would say in general, yeah, I'd say women CEOs probably have a, a certain amount of hard mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's just is a certain amount of discrimination against uh, women, a, mm -hmm. a certain amount. I mm -hmm. think it's better than it used to be. Right, right. So you mentioned also being in North Carolina and the different um, states that you've been in, like the discrimination is a little different. What are the differences between like the location? Well, I always thought, you know, that they would always say more condescending type things like, you know, you sweet little thing and uh -huh. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, why aren't you married and mm -hmm. having babies and mm -hmm. children? And it's like, you know, that's not their business, what you're mm -hmm. doing. Do you feel like you could have started your company in any other state other than California? That's a great question. And I often think that California was the best place to do it. Mm -hmm. I really do. Because sense. nobody ever questioned you there, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. you know, no, never. I mean, mm -hmm. really never. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I would go to all these different companies, you know. I've been to everything from a rendering plant to semiconductor manufacturing. I've been every kind of plant you can imagine. I've climbed sulfuric acid towers and mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Uh -huh. And never really a problem out there at all. 
Were there like any ways that you feel like you had to like cope with what you were experiencing in the South or did you just easily I, brush it off? Well, or how did you... I, you know, I would get kind of depressed about it sometimes, you know, and then I think that's finally what got me down. From there, I moved to Houston. Okay. And at that point, I worked for a company called Coke Engineering. They make equipment for distillation towers, tower packing, mixing equipment and all that stuff. And by then, okay, so it was around, it was really only 1981 or 82. So I'd only been out of school three or four years, but okay. finally I had a job that was really chemical engineering okay. too. And that was sort of my first really real chemical engineering job before I was selling more mechanical equipment and other kinds of things. But once I got into that chemical engineering job, oh, wow. it really clicked. Mm-hmm. And you talked earlier about like kind of like uh, the, there always being some kind of silver lining and it sounds like to me, what I'm hearing is like life was like pushing you to kind of like work on your own a little bit. You always have this mentor and then they leave. But also like you got ushered into, you know, a situation that was probably more for you, you know, especially yeah. getting to have all that fun and, and yeah. chemical um, engineering. So what do you think has been your most significant contribution to the industry and why? Well, I, I think that it's probably bringing the information about the ozone industry to a great many of people. I used to do a lot of training seminars and in in all different sorts of places. One of my favorite places was the Monterey Aquarium where they they use ozone on the sea otters, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And um, I I would have to say that probably was because so many um, people in the water treatment plants and and whatnot don't have any kind of chemical training. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would, I would get, I still get people call me that are my old customers that they're not my customers anymore and call me up and ask me questions. Mm. Can I help them with this? Can I help them with that? Mm. And I, I really, and I don't mind it at all. I always love to help people. Right. And so I, I would say that because I think I was very good at explaining things to people and bringing it down to their level because, you know, I would have customers from the PhD level down to the water treatment operator level and everything in between. And also people that maybe English wasn't their native language. So I think maybe that is that I was able to really help people a lot. So it sounds like being in the sales roles was for you, contrary <laughs> to what their professors say, was being able to distill complex information and, and make it relatable. I'm yeah, I, I think for me, it took me a while to find out just what kind of sales I like doing. Mm-hmm. Um, commodity sales where, you know, you're just selling a widget over and over again and it's all about price. Mm-hmm. That really isn't any fun, but the engineered products are what are really fun. Mm-hmm. You know? Why Why more so the engineered products? Because then you get to use your engineering degree. You get to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times people say, I, you know, I got this thing and I don't know what to do. And you could solve it for them. And then as you get more and more experience, that was, to me, was the most fun thing. Mm-hmm. Was uh, I had a my lab and I had all my equipment. I'd go somewhere and set up a test. And measure ozone all over the place and tell them what they needed to do. And I loved that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really fun. Do you think it's the the creativity part of it then? That you're it's, like, I yeah. get to be creative. Let me figure this well, out. Well, I've always been like a mad scientist, yeah. I think. And I think it's the mad scientist in me that uh-huh. loves to set up experiments and do uh-huh. things. That's you really know? cool. Yeah, I always have loved doing that. That's really cool. As a mad scientist, I'm sure you've accumulated a lot of wealth um, in your lifetime. What role does philanthropy play in your life? And, you know, do you plan on it playing in your afterlife? Um, I have a number of different causes that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is I'm a a big opera fan. I'm Mm going to donate money to the San Francisco Opera. Mm -hmm. I used to go to 
to that a lot. You know, when I lived in San Francisco, um, I'm a big animal welfare person. Mm -hmm. I have a fund at the Akron Community Foundation for animal welfare, and I also have a lot of money set aside in my trust for um, a number of different animal causes too. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that since I have no children. I plan on giving it all away. So what is your desired impact or reputation when all is said and done? Um, I want everybody to just kind of remember me as somebody with a lot of integrity and a a person that just basically did what they say they were going to do. And that's kind of how I, you know, treated my business all the way along. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have one final question. Kind of curious how good you are at golf. Oh, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> how long have you been playing? I started about ten years ago. Okay. And I'm I'm really now just finally getting to where I'm I'm decent at it. Okay. Um, but it's really fun. Yeah. And I would tell anybody, especially a woman, to learn how to play golf because yeah. it is the best way to get to know other people. Mm-hmm. I've met so many people that I wouldn't normally know mm-hmm. because of playing golf. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, as bad as I am, I had a hole-in-one one time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> one time. But, you know, once is all it takes. It was on a Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, wow. It was um, in May of 2016. And in my typical way, I hit, it was a par three, a very long par three. Okay. And I hit the ball and went up into the air, landed on the water grate, bounced in the air, hit the green, and rolled in the hole. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. What time was it? You know, all the details. What time was it? In About the five o'clock. <laughs> When you got into golf, was there, were you just like, I think it's a time in my life where I learned how to play golf? Or what did you have, like, uh, was there a purpose for it? Well, a friend of mine who was also, who had, we both joined Portage Country Club at the same time. And I joined just as a, maybe as a social member or a, um, I didn't have a golf membership. I just had a tennis and swimming membership and, mm-hmm. you know, go enjoy the uh, the dining room and things like that. But my friend was a golfer and she was a pretty good golfer and she just kept bugging me to try. So I started taking lessons and believe me, it was really ugly for a couple of years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, you just got to keep working at it. And um, I just think it's something that I would highly recommend somebody to do, but don't wait as long as I did. Mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> um, are there any last sentiments or pieces of advice that, that you'd like to share? The only thing I can tell people is love what you do. The last 30 years have gone in a flash. Okay, so love what you do. I love what I I did. I mean, I love it every day. I couldn't wait to get up and work, you know? I mean, it sounds crazy, but I loved it. No, that's a a life that is inspiring. And I think a lot of people, like, you know, live their life kind of like searching for for that thing. And there's a lot of advice that goes contrary to that. Well, I was lucky because I got to do what I loved and I made a great living and I'm now able to give back. But, you know, I spent 10 years floundering around too. I mean, that was the hardest. I just couldn't find what I wanted. But then when I finally did, I knew what I, I knew that I had it, you know. Well, I definitely want to thank you for your time. Um, this has been a very easy, you know, conversation. I've learned a little bit more about carnivorous plants and just about, you know, your experiences and how your core values have navigated you and in, in your success. So I definitely appreciate that. And um, again, I want to thank you once more. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on Diverse Engineering. And Cynthia, thank you so much for your time and insights. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Diverse Engineering, Women Engineers Through the Decades. I want to thank Bridgestone Americas, 
Continental Contatech, and the GPD Group for their generous support of this podcast series. And I'd also like to thank Lyondell Bissell Industries for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to help ease the financial burden of our diverse students within the Women in Engineering program, please consider donating. We need the help of community sponsors and listeners like you to support our Women in Engineering program. To donate, text WIE to 71777 or give online at www.uacron.edu slash giving slash WIE. Lastly, thank you to podcast host Ebony Bond, podcast editor David Campbell, WZIP manager Chris Kepler, and the College of Engineering and Polymer Science for making this podcast a reality. This has been Dr. Gary Miller, president of the University of Akron. Remember to aim high and rise higher. Go Zips.